and welcome back to 100% Real with Ruby. Let's kick it straight off with Sam Forget in part two of this killer episode. That's where you look at where your time, taking the time to assess and audit where these resources, you know, we've talked about the sunk cost effect a few times now, where your resources are best directed. So many people feel like they're wasting time if they pause to think about this stuff and, you know, they dive a little bit deeper and they're taking a little bit more time to formulate their plan. They feel like I just want to go, go, go. But then you run the risk, as you mentioned, actually, I believe it's called the, uh, the law of the slight edge or the slight edge principle, where if you take a plane that's about to take off, and you direct it, I'm talking like a millimeter off to the left, within a couple of hours, it'll be thousands of miles off from its original course, because you didn't take the time to make sure that it was directed in the right place to begin with. So this goes back to this recurring theme of a lot of people are hesitant to do this, they hear it, and they go, I know I should give it a little bit more thought, I should get to the root of what I'm hoping to get out of this whole transformation journey, and what I want my identity to really be. But if you don't do that, you run the risk of this plane analogy of being slightly off course in terms of where you're directing these resources. And the resources are now spent, but you're thousands of miles from where you're hoping to end up. And now you have to use the same amount of resources to get back to where you ultimately wanted to be had you taken the time to identify that in the first place. I love that because it's so true. That's, that's what we've been talking about this whole time. Like People aren't willing to sit with themselves and to get uncomfortable because it's a waste of time. But what's more of a waste of time spending the next one three five years doing the same shit ending up in the same place or taking a day not even a day maybe two days to actually get clear on a direction and on the cost of inaction and of how much different life will be when you implement the things that you know you need to implement even though they are uncomfortable and I know that you mentioned this as well, where people have contradicting goals, where it's just like, I want to have more energy in the day. I want to go to the gym in the morning. I want to have more time freed up at night, but they still want watch Netflix until friggin' 11 p.m., 12 a.m., midnight. And then they wonder why they're sleeping in. They're not going to the gym. And then they keep repeating the same shit and not showing up as their best selves because they aren't willing to just do the hard shit and make it who they are to switch off Netflix earlier so that they can reinstall a new pattern that serves them so you stop feeling so crap throughout the day. And the other thing I want you to talk about on that as well is because Instagram is bloody amazing at being annoying lately, that, that is it just me or is there like a rise in 20-year-olds, 25-year-olds, little whatever like I can talk with this whole like single ladies just living at home doing shit, but I don't do this. There are so many people out there that don't work outside of home that have all the time in the world. They don't have kids. They're either single or have, they have a partner, but they don't have kids. Making extravagant recipes with all these ingredients, making things freaking, I called it a fla flavor orgasm in your mouth. Like you don't need to have an orgasm in your mouth every single time that you eat. Yet people are pushing these things out. And then all of a sudden, I can't eat that great. My meal doesn't look really good. I can't even celebrate this meal because it doesn't look like this person on Instagram. And you wrote a post, which is the one that I just pulled up where it's just like, 
Okay, cool. So you want to eat this fancy? Be prepared to have extra time tracking your food. Have extra time worrying about whether your your goals, your actions are in line with your the, the results that you want. Extra time prepping. Extra time cleaning. More money spent on grocery shopping. More decisions to make. Probably bloody ordering a pizza because you didn't anticipate staying back at work one day. So this brings up two really distinct points that I think are super important to talk about. Number one, it's considering context from your information sources. So absolutely. If you look at the overwhelming majority of people who are posting fitness content on social media, I'm generalizing, stereotyping a little bit here, but it's a lot of people in their mid twenties whose whole lives revolve around literally whether or not they have abs or like, you know, you know, they're, you know, the average person, in the course of a week is not thinking about how defined their rear delts are, but a lot of people they're taking information from that's an ongoing thing for them. And that's not to say somebody who doesn't have kids or somebody who's really young or somebody who doesn't have a lot of responsibility can't give some advice, but you do have to consider some good advice, I should say, but you do have to consider that context of, are they going to be able to give something that's actually applicable to your day to day? So when I started training people, Ruby, I was actually 16, 17 years old. And I know that sounds crazy that people would trust me with anything at that point. But that's when I started doing sessions. I was 16, 17. And a lot of the recommendations that I gave people at the time were, well, I learned that this is technically optimal for sleep. So here's the bedtime ritual that you need to use, Mrs. Jones. But what that didn't account for in my young, naive, inexperienced brain is that Mrs. Jones has a kid that's going to come in and have a nightmare. And she's not going to say, well, my 16-year-old trainer, Sam, said it's suboptimal for sleep for you to come in the room. So get the hell out, little Billy. You're disrupting my sleep hygiene. So all this to say, consider the context of the information source and make sure they're considering your unique and potential obstacles before you pursue anything. It looks like you had a thought on that before I move forward. Is there something you wanted to add? On that same note where it's the context, it's almost like when you start a new job. I can't remember where I saw this, but you start a new job and there's someone that's been working there for like 10, 15 years. The advice they're dishing out is now outdated. It's stuff that doesn't serve you right now. Like people saying freaking, I don't know what's out there, like carb timing, insulin, this, I don't know, whatever it is. Stuff that they haven't yet renewed their knowledge on versus the new person that comes in with more education that well not even you but someone that's always studying someone that's always refreshing their educational research base but on that other side not you can't just go off research because research comes out like 10 years after something's already been friggin prophesized in practical application but there's a difference there as well with knowing where the context is Absolutely. So this is totally another direction we could go in. So I'm going to say two quick thoughts here. One with that in terms of auditing information sources, considering context, practical things for people to be looking for. Number one, you can kind of tell from the content somebody's putting out in itself. If they're suggesting this three hour bedtime ritual with 19, it's clear that they're not the 19 steps, I should say. It's clear they're probably not the person for you. There's not a whole lot of information, even if you want to. And this is the hurdle for a lot of people, but I want to look like her, but I want to look like him. You got to be honest about whether or not the information that they're giving you is something you can actually apply. So I think that in itself can be obvious looking at the continuing education component, excuse me, component, 
certifications can hold a little weight, but honestly, as long as you're doing some form of whether it's, you know, courses, whether it's uh, conferences, whether, whatever the case may be that they're staying up on this stuff. And then the clients that they're showcasing are, if it's a 22 year old posting a bunch of other 22 year olds who also don't have a whole lot going on, or are they posting things that you feel like, Oh, I can identify, not necessarily with the look again, I don't want to get caught up in the whole I, I want to look like that client looks, but what are their pain points? What are their obstacles? So they said, you know, maybe in this client spotlight thing, you know, this client came to me and they were struggling with blah, 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 blah. And now they're doing this. Oh, okay. That's kind of the same trajectory I want to go on. So I think that's, you know, a handful of, or those I should say are a handful of practical things that people can look for in their auditing information sources. Uh, but I did want to add one other thought to, you'd brought up the meal complexity thing where a lot of people in the same breath will say, well, I get really bored with, you know, eating, you know, mostly the same meals over and over. And, you know, I want to mix things up a little bit. I'm like, okay, that's fine. On one side of this coin, you're telling me that you prefer food variety, that you get really, really bored eating the same things and you don't want to eat chicken that often. That's fine. But the other side of what you're telling me now means more cognitive bandwidth, like literally just more thought on a daily basis of how to potentially hit your nutritional targets, potentially more time consuming cooking, potentially more money spent on a variety of groceries. That's the stuff that comes with it. Are you okay with that? Well, no, I don't want that either. Well, there's an expression. If you chase two rabbits, both escape. And it can sound cliche, but that's the reality for a lot of people is I get really bored with my meals. And, you know, this is, you know, I, I saw this recipe on Pinterest that I want to do, blah, blah, blah. On the other side of the coin, they're saying, well, I don't really want to spend a lot of time in the kitchen and, you know, tracking your food is too time consuming and daunting this, that, the other. So this is our job as coaches. And obviously, if you're not working with a coach, you have to do a little bit of a self audit here to look at, are your goals at odds with each other? Because then you're not moving the needle on either of them. And perhaps, and this would be a good conversation for us, perhaps the most common example of chasing two rabbits at the same time, running in two directions is, I want to lose weight as quickly as possible. And I want to keep the weight off once and for all. Because guess what? The strategies you're using for each of those goals or for the most part, I would say 80% at odds with each other. So to a degree, you're going to have to pick one or the other. And obviously, we don't want to send somebody down that yo-yo dieting path. Why do I have a feeling that now this is going to just go on forever? There are so <laughs> many things I want to say to that. Like, it's, it's not just the fact that you want to lose weight as quickly as possible, and then you want to keep it off forever. It's if it's like that whole outcomes thing. If you're just focusing on chasing the outcome of losing the weight, you become a shell in the process. Like you don't bring the life with you. Your default settings are bullshit and you still left them behind. So unless you actually go through the phases and know how to eat at maintenance and a lot of people do this thing where uh, maybe it's not the right time to start yet. Uh, maybe I need to write for the right weight time. Uh, okay, cool not this week. This week's going to be crazy. So I'll be on track next week again. Like, no, that's when you actually need to work harder on how to navigate these things. You should be actually using the moments where life is tougher with a coach, with some guidance, because handling the tougher shit makes it so much easier when things are smooth sailing, which is actually a lot more rare than when things are actually tough, especially if you're a mother especially if you have a high demanding job and especially if you're a perfectionist because no matter what you do no matter what you say about it, it's going to be calmer next month 
it never comes. I can tell you it never comes because I can admit to that same thing, right? She's like, oh, it'll be calmer in March. Yeah, bullshit. This month will be my busiest. It'll be calmer in April. In April, I'll probably say, oh, bullshit. I just made that my busiest month. Like we always find ways to busy ourselves unless we make room for it. But yeah, what did I just say? I do the same thing, but you know what I didn't skip? I didn't skip a single day of being within ballpark of my macros. But to be honest, I don't know, I don't even track my food anymore because I literally eat the same meals every single freaking day because I love my food. And if I want to change things up, guess what I do? Actually bring in some examples as well because examples are amazing. I might actually do a full day of eating, but all my meals are pretty much the same. Actually, they're all the same. The only thing that I would do different sometimes is if I'm really hungry one morning, I'll eat half of a bread roll that I also have with my dessert because my dessert's really big. Like, or I might move one of my wheat fixes, which is cereal. I don't know if people have wheat fix in America or UK, but wheat fix from my breakfast, and I might put that into my dessert because I have a little bit of wheat fix in both. But the only other thing that I do where I change my meals is my sec, my third meal, which is potato or a bread roll. So what did I do? Protein equal. Actually, everything is equal. All I did was calculate the calories that are in the potato and make the potato equal the calories in the bread roll. So if I want potato one day, I have chicken potato coleslaw mayonnaise. If I want bread roll one day, I have a chicken mayo bread roll. Like make shit simple where you have the same type of macros and calories for a meal and you have different alternatives for it. As long as the protein is the same, which should be freaking 10 times higher than you think it should be. Because a lot of people don't eat enough protein, which you can bring that up later too. That comes down to, do you want to keep the weight off for good? Or do you want fast weight loss? Because you need to learn the non-negotiables. You need to learn the habits. You need to learn when it's okay to slip back a little, but when you actually need to go full force, like you need to learn how to toggle all of these phases and your dream body doesn't come in one cycle. And going back to that, like chasing the shell and the fact that I always went after outcomes, bring in a lot more examples. It actually really helps. But the fact that I was always chasing over outcomes, regardless of where my body was, I was never happy because I was a shell. I didn't even know what I wanted anymore. I didn't even know what I was chasing anymore. I literally used to say, I don't know what the fuck I want. Just give me something. I want this. No, I want this. But then every single thing that I said I wanted didn't come from a place of what I actually wanted because I was still chasing. I want to be lean. I don't want to get fat. This is powerful. And it was almost like I gave myself the self-fulfilling prophecy of, no, I love food too much, restriction mindset. Anytime that I let myself go or anytime I don't have something that I'm stubborn about, using stubbornness as my thing, I'll let myself go. I'll go back into old habits. So no, I'm stubborn on these goals. I'm stubborn on this. But it wasn't something that actually gave me purpose. It was me being stubborn about something that I used as my excuse and my justification for chasing something. But being stubborn about it meant that I didn't have something that was going to make me enjoy who I was, what my body was capable of, and I was still living in such deprivation regardless. And my body couldn't follow it if my mind wasn't there. 
Ruby, I feel like we have this running queue of 15 topics that are now on deck for us to tackle so many directions to go in, but two, you had so many great points there. So much great information too, that I'd love to, I want to say expand on, but briefly touch upon a little bit more going a little bit back the idea of waiting for a good time to start. And this is for any variation or version of, you know, things are really nuts this week. When the dust settles, I'll be able to try harder next week. Or this month just really isn't a good time for me right now. But when things die down a little bit, you know, insert 48 variations of that, you know, the list goes on. There's so many things that people say. I put out a video about this once with an actual client and she's absolutely crushing it by the way, but she was hesitant to sign up for coaching. Cause she's like, I'm about to move. I've lived in the same house for X amount of years. And I feel like mid move probably isn't a good time to commit to a program. And I'm not a used car salesman, but the point I made to her is look, you're having this period now, the season of life of, well, you're about to gear up for this move. But then when you're actually in the house, it's, we're just getting settled in the home. And at the time of year that it was, was about to enter the holidays. So then it's, oh, the holidays are nuts for me. And you know how things are in the new year. And then it's spring cleaning and it's, oh, getting ready for the summer. And then the summer's vacation. And before you know it, it's the same damn time, the next calendar year. So if you build the skill sets now specifically to operate imperfectly, or so you think of what does 60% look like? What does 80% look like? And you get really damn good at operating at 70%, 85%, depending on the season of life. Well, now in those very, very rare seasons where life, all of life's traffic lights turn green, now you have all this, you know, these the skills and you have this framework to put your foot on the gas and really amplify your results. But if you do that thing where you wait for things to settle down and you wait for a good time to start, or, you know, again, there's so many examples we can use here, you're actually reinforcing this all or nothing approach, this I'm either on or I'm off that you're telling me that you want to stop doing. You're telling me that you want to stop being a perfectionist and you don't want to be in a yo-yo cycle. But two seconds later, you're telling me that this week is nuts. And when things calm down a little bit, I'll be able to. And the expression actually, I think I hear the most is wait till I can fully commit. Well, guess what? There are very few times in life you'll be able to fully commit. I'd much rather have you 80% commit, you know, 60% commit, depending on what's going on. So that was the first thing I wanted to touch upon. But the other one, before I forget, um, you had mentioned adjusting your meals, your staple meals. And I think the biggest mistake that people make with meal variation and complexity is thinking about a plate strictly in terms of the numbers, especially when somebody's dieting with the goal of fat loss. It is purely how many calories does this have? How much protein does this have? You know, if they're tracking a full set of macros, carbs and fats, of course, as well. And they're just tinkering those. But what happens when we get rid of that numerical feedback at the end of a diet? Most people, I would venture to say, probably, I don't want to tell people what they should or shouldn't do, but most people would do best not tracking for the rest of their lives. You know, that's generally the end game that we want people in is they're not having to pull up my fitness pal every single time they're eating. But if the only thing you're focusing on mid diet is, well, is it reduced fat or reduced sugar? Or what do the numbers tell me? Or what's the same, my fitness pal. And you're not also paying attention to plate structure. This is the big thing here is plate structure. Then it's unlikely you do well when you get rid of that numerical feedback. So one of the things that I will have my clients do proactively is yes, we, you know, we monitor calories, we look at protein, all that other good stuff. But we also look at the plate and say, what's the composition of your plate right here? Is it, you know, you have a protein, 
you have a carb source, perhaps more carbs before and after your workout? Did you get some fat in there as well for hormonal health, nutrient digestion, et cetera? Did you work in splurges from time to time? Because then when you're looking at your, your nutrition, your meals through that lens of well, as well, it's so easy to make adjustments without the numbers telling you what to do. And most people, again, you pull out my fitness pal at the end of their diet, they reach this goal weight supposedly, and they stop using my fitness pal and they've never paid attention to this stuff before. So they don't know how to make adjustments. Whereas if you do look at it in advance toward the tail end of your diet, you start to phase off of say you're tracking my fitness pal, you bring your calories back up a little bit and you go, okay, well, this plate structure is, you know, my protein is let's say steak. My carb is, uh, you know, rice. My fat is the olive oil that I cooked everything in and I got a vegetable asparagus. Well, if I want to make an adjustment, I'm going to switch my primary protein source from steak to salmon. And now I don't need that numerical feedback to go, oh my God, is this, you know, putting me over these calories that I'm no longer tracking? You know, it's still meeting this benchmark. So in short, that wasn't a quick point at all, but in short, you know, looking at a meal is almost like a system, a template, a, a, a general structure, rather than exclusively looking at the numbers, which may work short term, but ultimately it does you a disservice if you're not looking at the general framework for what makes up a satisfying, nutritious meal. Yeah, I actually have a file in my inner circle that has a meal plan template and how to structure your meal. And <laughs> just yesterday, someone's like, I'm going away for the next four days. And because she's in a fat loss phase, like in fat loss phases, I will always say you should track your calories. But when you're in maintenance, which is where you should live your life, talk about what Sam said. I'll talk about this first. But because she's going on holidays for a while, I'm just like, just use the meal plan template. because the meal, the, the plate template, not meal plan template, the plate template, which is pretty much eating most of your plate, like three quarters of your plate veggies and the rest protein and sparsely have a little bit of fats throughout the day because everything we eat pretty much will come with some source of fat. So I don't like prioritizing fats at all when we're away. Prioritize the veggies, prioritize the protein. The fats will find their way into your diet. I can promise you that. <laughs> but that that was that one the other one is yes when you are in a fat loss phase it becomes a little bit more crucial for you to start tracking your food adamantly but we should be this is the thing this is why you need to know how to actually approach the journey because most of your time should be spent at maintenance if you want to keep the weight off and that is when you learn how to eat to maintain your weight and yes you will still need to track you will still need to have some effort if it is the first time and if you're new to this and you will probably have to for, a, for at least a year because you need to gather competence and confidence in different situations. But then as the years go, maybe like year two, year three, you gain so much freedom and flexibility. You don't even really have to track all that much, if at all. And it becomes, I love tracking, so I still track. It's just the fact that I eat the same thing every day. But if I want to change something up, I know how to change it up to reflect that meal plan. So we can plan and track a structure for ourselves and then not really need to go back into tracking it all that much for quite a while until we want to change something up again. But then we need to also know how to do the tracking for when something comes up. Like if we're lacking energy in some places, if our digestion shit, if there are things that are propping up like the lights on the dashboard of a car, Maybe we need to go back to tracking everything again just to see what's kind of going askew and then try to sort things out there, which is something that I have with one of my advanced clients. It's like, can you actually track everything for me, please, for like 
a month so we can see what's going on and we can see where this energy is and we can see what we can like sort out a little because other times it's just she eats like me like she eats practically the same thing every day so many directions here. I have like nine different thoughts in the tip of my tongue, but uh, one that I wanted to touch upon a little bit, you had mentioned, you know, obviously developing skills mid diet in a way that put you in a position to successfully maintain your results. And I want to reemphasize a point I made earlier that maintenance is not maintaining your all time lowest body weight for the rest of your life. That is not the metric of successful maintenance, which is a total side tangent I could go on. But um, one of the strategies that I'll use to make sure that my clients are set up for success, life after dieting, the after after photo is almost pulling the rug out from under them mid diet, where if they'd been tracking really diligently for say, I don't know, nine weeks or something, I'll say, all right, for this weekend, I want you to maybe just track your choices, not the numbers themselves, but the choices in the notes app on your phone or pen and paper, or maybe don't track anything at all for the next four days. Because the last thing I want is for somebody to feel like completely helpless if I've challenged them to do that, because what ends up happening is people get really attached to whether it's my fitness pal or other tracking apps. And they associate understandably through conditioning of, well, when I track, I lose weight. When I don't track, I gain weight, but it's because you're not looking a, at the framework we mentioned before, but it's not the app itself that's making you lose weight. It's the knowledge you are gaining. You're now getting a little bit more insight into what you're putting into your body. So with that knowledge, I have 100% faith in my clients that if we're just not going to track for a weekend, whether it's not tracking the numbers, we're not tracking altogether, you can still do well based on that knowledge that you've accumulated while you were actually tracking. And this brings up another good point, which is that you know, you'll see those streaks. If I've tracked my food every day for 90 days straight, and I'm not trying to take away from somebody's, you know, somebody's win there if they're proud of that. But every day that you don't take these proactive breaks, these breathers where you're not looking at other things besides numerical feedback, you're putting yourself in a position where the idea of not tracking gets scarier and scarier. Cause I know a lot of people who do well in their tracking, but if I said, Hey, delete my fitness pal for the next week, they'd have a conniption. What if I, what if I, what if I, what if I, that tells us that we need to take more breaks. So again, I'm a fan of the numbers. I'm a fan of data, but we also want to make sure we're not in a, in a position where we are relying on it or getting a false sense of confidence from that because it's not the app itself. It's not the numbers. It's not what you're tracking. It is the, the knowledge that you're then gaining from that stuff. Yeah, I see this is where I kind of go different in the fact that this is why I don't like tracking scale weight. Like I want people to be able to use an app regardless, like to be able to track their food because I feel like people actually going by the scale, especially women, they forget how to tune into their bodies. But for tracking food, it's almost just like always tracking your finances. Like it's something that you want to keep tabs on for your life, but you can get more flexible with it as you get, like as you live exactly. in this yeah. new body as you live in this new identity you can be a little bit more flexible with it you can be a little bit more i guess lenient with yourself because i know i make this much i know how much i spend here like i don't really check my statements anymore because it's like i know how much i spend every month i know how much i make every sometimes i don't know how much i make every month but i know that i spend within my means and that can be the same with when you guys are eating your different foods. It's like, I know that I eat within my means. It doesn't really matter. Hey, this is actually good that I don't really track how much I make. 
I don't track how much I make because to me, when someone asks me that question, I'm like, I don't really care. I care about how many lives I impact. That's what I'm doing. I want to impact more lives. I want to have more lives with me to impact. That's what I look at. But it's almost the same like when you're doing activity. Oh, I missed an exercise session. It's like you don't track the output that you do because you make more difference with your spendings because you can you can make like a massive, you can do like a massive hard out session, but then eat freaking two pizzas and completely obliterate that session plus another five. So if you get really comfortable within your means with the spending and you have a rough idea of your incomings, it kind of works that way. Like, you know, the spending, you know, that kind of stuff. Whereas like with the scales, it's almost like you need to tune into your body more. You need to know how certain foods make you feel because if you know how eating like I had a girl who finally she left me and then she came back to me and then she's just like, what the hell Ruby? I never thought that I'd actually feel this shit after eating Chinese takeaway, something like that. And I'm just like, wasn't that your favorite? She's like, yeah, but now it just tastes stupid and gross. Like I'm just, it feels so bad having bad food in my body. Like you just become so used to feeling good. But before, like she didn't know this before. She left because she didn't want to make it her lifestyle. And then she came back because she didn't like the alternative cost of inaction. And now it's almost like she knows how good she can feel. So she doesn't want to go back to the way that she was feeling before. So she's making better choices. Yeah, as an expression I think of often that most people have no idea how good their bodies could feel on a daily basis. And the second you get a taste of that, that becomes an alternative metric that's not a numerical of forget the calories, forget the protein. I just know this makes me feel this way. This makes me feel that way. That's enough of a driver. And there's actually an article that I'm working on right now. And what I feel is a very, I want to say under discussed, I've never seen it discussed topic, or at least kind of broken down this way of, I find that most people when they are dieting and they are tracking their calories and they're trying to lose weight, their only metric, the thing that drives all of their food making decisions is how many calories does this have? Is it lower calorie? If so, that's inherently the best choice for me. And then whether it's a diet break, a maintenance phase or not dieting, if the only metric while they were dieting was numbers, the only alternative metric becomes flavor alone. So it is, and I'm not saying you should eat meals that you hate, of course, but it's purely what is the best tasting thing for me right now when I'm not dieting, which obviously that's pizza, that's candy, that's cake, that's all these other things. And then they end up having to start their diet again. So one thing that I'll do with my clients, I keep saying proactively here, but it's so important is independent of how many calories this meal has, independent of the flavor of this meal. What are some other reasons for you to make a good food choice? And the list goes on depending on the person's goals of, you know, say they want to get stronger. Say it's a woman I'm working with who wants to get, you know, squat her body weight or, you know, do a push up on the floor for the first time, wants to recover well from that, wants to have better digestive health, wants to sleep better, all these other things that are really important for you to look for. That way you're not in a position where your diet is miserable when you're tracking your calories because you're thinking low calorie is always better and that's not remotely close to true. And then when you're not dieting because you weren't ever looking for other reasons besides calories to make decisions your only fallback is going to be flavor. And if you're only choosing foods based on how tasty they are, you're probably going to feel pretty shitty. So this is where we have to define what those alternative metrics are. Like you mentioned, it's not necessarily the income, it's how many people you're impacting. You've defined an alternative metric that moves the needle for you, that, that, 
consciously on a daily basis pushes you to make good decisions. And it's the same thing here. We don't want to fall into it's calories when I'm dieting, it's flavor when I'm not dieting. There's so much other stuff or so many other things I should say that we're looking at in between those. That reminds me of something else I was saying to someone before. It's just like, you say these stupid, oh, I don't know whether you get them on Facebook, but I get like 10 ads a week from fit pros wanting to make you six figures, seven figure incomes. And it's just like, like that sell of money doesn't attract me. But then if someone comes to me saying, do you want to impact more lives? Do you want to have better, like, coaching conversations do you want to have better this better that that's the shit that gets me because that's what impacts lives and it's like a fat loss journey are you going to just chase this outcome or are you going to be driven by oh I want to feel confident oh one of the girls made a post the other day and then my my first the only thing I said to her was and what did I tell you your first piece of homework was And she's like, you made me buy some sexy lingerie. So I got myself some sexy pajamas. Like that is what it's all about. Because when she came to me, she wanted to feel sexy having sex. So that was my first thing for her to buy. Like there there are so many things that you can add to your journey that make it so much more fulfilling where you can actually fall in love with the process and it becomes something that you do. Because like... I always, for example, needed to have my photos in black and white because I didn't like seeing my body in color. (laughs) Like that was me once upon a time. And I had girls who would in summer wear tracksuit pants and a big tracksuit jacket and go to the gym training in that. And now in winter, when it's freezing cold, booty shorts, crop top. Like think of these things. Maybe you can think of some examples of that as well, because these are actually powerful things that I want people to visualize. I think it, it reinforces what we'd mentioned earlier. Say this client you had by the lingerie of a lot of the things that you're after are almost certainly available to you prior to you reaching this end goal. So looking at what am I hoping to get out of this pursuit and what are some alternative ways or what are some ways that I can get there a little bit sooner, whether it is a self-esteem thing, whether it is you want to feel a little bit sexier, whether it is you want to be higher energy. And then you look for those things in advance because there's a good chance that you can act, not a good chance, there's a, a, a surefire thing that you can actually experience those. Now, may they you know, potentially be amplified in some cases when you lose a little bit more body fat or get a little bit healthier? Sure. But you don't have to wait for this black and white of, I'm going to lose 40 pounds. And when I'm at up until 39 pounds, I'm completely miserable. And it's impossible for me to feel sexier. And it's impossible for me to be more confident and have higher energy. But when the scale moves one pound tomorrow, that's when the magic happens, because it doesn't actually work like that. So reinforcing yet again, the importance of looking for those things that are likely available to you in some capacity, even if it's not in their final form, but in some capacity prior to reaching that benchmark. There was an illusion. Oh, we keep going on. We'll, we'll have to like figure out a way to sum it all up soon. But there was another illusion that I heard where they were using a heroin addict as an example. It's like all that heroin addict wants is that sort of heroin. And as soon as they get that, they just want the next one and the next one and the next one. And you're going to keep chasing those dopamine hits until you find real purpose in life. But something to relate it to the whole body thing, which is a lot of people don't realize this. It's almost like when people think, okay, but if I'm not focusing on my weight, 
I'm just going to be fat. Or if I'm focusing on all this fluffy stuff, I'm just going to be fat. You, you don't realize that it, you actually get better results when you fall in love with the process because you actually stay on track because the track doesn't exist. The track is your life and you're learning how to live it. Live it. Yeah, I think uh, I actually guess that I don't know if you've had her on yet, but I had on um, Dr. Karin Nordine. She's coming on your show, right? Yeah. So one of the things she talked about when she came on my uh, show was the idea of having approach based goals versus avoidance based goals. And so many people have these very reductionist, you know, I'm going to do starting tomorrow, no more this, no more this, I want to be less, I want to be smaller. But if you do the approach based goals, or what can I have more of what can I pursue? What can I add? That's where you get a lot more enjoyment, you hear people like us saying, Oh, you got to fall in love with the process. And a lot of people might feel like, well, that's ridiculous. Why would I like a transformation process when it's all about weighing less and being physically smaller and, you know, trying to burn more calories. It's just less, less, less when you can look at what you're adding. Maybe it's more time outside, more time with friends and family. As you just mentioned, Ruby, when you shift your focus away from this weight, in some cases, a bit of a weight obsession, you fear that well, aren't I just going to gain a bunch of weight if I'm focusing on this less? Well, not if you're focusing on meaningful things that you can then add. Everything from the tactical X's and O's of more fruits, more vegetables, more strength training, but also the life outside of this stuff of more, you know, high quality friendships, you know, deeper relationships, you know, high quality sleep hours, better stress management, you know, more, more personal development, all these other areas that you may feel like distract you or get you away from your eventual weight loss goals, but indirectly support it in a much more effective way. I love that so much because you haven't watched my stories yet. Have you? Today? No. Watch my stories because I did something amazing yesterday that, well, I, I didn't, I didn't know that it was going to be amazing until I sent it to three people and I got them to tell me what their opinions were of it because I thought it would relate. And I got like these massive paragraphs from them saying how much it relates to them because everybody does this. We focus on what we want to come away from. And back in 2017, I made two files on this exact topic which is quite funny, which is why I love when you mentioned the, the chase and the avoidance, because if this, it's seriously so big, this is why I've always spoken about it. If, if we visualize, if we spoke about this at the start as well, but if we visualize everything that we can be, what we want to become, instead of the things that we don't want anymore, like I asked one of my girls a question, because I have a sheet that they fill in if they want to, but what is it that, you like what is it that could happen this week or where could you go down and what is it that you want to feel and every single time that they say what they want to feel it's all I don't want to feel this I don't want to feel this I am sick of feeling like this I'm like uh that wasn't the question the question was how do you want to feel not how do you want to not feel and I never get a response back I act and then I I like ask again and then I still never get a response back. No one knows how they actually want to feel because they're so busy harping on about everything that not, that they're not and all the failures that they do. So maybe this could be the best way to sum it up because this is so freaking important. Like guys, seriously, if all you want to do is avoid feeling like shit, avoid feeling like a disappointment, avoid failure, avoid sleeping in, avoid feeling like everything you do fails. Why not 
flip the switch and think about all the other sides of it. Like, well, why don't you just write everything that you just wrote, but the opposite? Just and, flip it. Yeah, just flip it. But then I had one of my psychologist friends, just going to quickly insert this here before you talk. One of my psychologist friends said to me, always write the opposite of what you're feeling if it's bad. And then meet yourself halfway and then take it from there. Because it's so much easier to meet yourself halfway and then drag it towards where you want to be instead of trying to flip the switch altogether. I love that. That's so powerful. And yeah, the uh, when you're shifting things, if you think about most people's hurdle, if you ask them why they're not sticking to a plan, it's, well, I don't have enough motivation and, you know, I burn out and this happens, you know, X, Y, and Z. Well, obviously, if your goal when you're waking up is I want to eat fewer calories, I want to be physically smaller, I want to weigh less, I don't want to feel like this, I don't want to feel like that, I want this to stop happening. How sustainable is that for you to wake up every single morning and go, yeah, today's going to freaking rock, man, it's going to be awesome, I can't wait to not do you know X, Y, and Z and be less of X, Y, and Z. Whereas if you do flip it, as you just mentioned, and look at what is the opposite of, okay, I don't want to feel so shitty. Okay, that's fine. The opposite of, I want to feel better, better how? I want to have more energy at work. When? Why does that matter? Well, sometimes I feel lethargic when I'm presenting to my team on a work meeting. Okay, how might having more energy there make a difference for you? And then not only do you get a more meaningful why, that can add a little fuel to the fire when your motivation is coming in ebbs and flows, but you get much more tangible what you actually do want to feel. And then we can focus on what can we add to help you feel that way? Maybe it's a quick walk before work starts. Maybe it's ideally getting natural sunlight in the morning. Maybe it's hydrating before your morning coffee. And if you go this route instead, and you're waking up in the morning, and instead of focusing on, I want to feel this, I can't do that. I shouldn't do this. It's I'm going to drink a little more water. So, you know, I have more energy entering the work day and I present a little bit better. So my confidence is a little bit higher. That's actually appealing. That's something that again, motivation comes and goes. We all know that, but that's something that is going to give you a lot more of a runway to be consistent. Cause that is so much more enjoyable to pursue than waking up and thinking of your do not do and do not feel do not be type lists. I'm going to tie this up together with two other things that we spoke about. That's the cost of inaction. The cost of inaction is everything that you're trying to avoid. But the thing is, instead of staying there, you need to know that shit, but don't stay there. You need to now move into who you can become. But I think it only just clicked now, which is why my eyes blew up before, is it doesn't really matter the cost of inaction and it doesn't really matter who you want to become if you don't even believe it's possible for you because too many people do not believe they're worthy and they do not believe they're capable because I didn't, I didn't. And whenever I don't, what do I do? I get someone to help me along the way because if I don't believe I'm capable, at least I know that I can get some help to show me the way and then I can become more capable. And then I don't even want to leave it because that help makes me feel empowered. And then it takes away a lot of the decision-making and actually allows me to make so much more out of my life because all of that energy goes into other things in life. And I just opened up this really amazing quote that says, when you feel overwhelmed, it's a sign of abundance because it means you have more than enough to do. You just need to learn how to prioritize so that the rabbits don't run away, as you said. <laughs> like, prioritize. And to sum that up as well, don't attach yourself to an identity either because no one wants to wake up to this person they think they should be, all these things they feel like they need to do. Because I was there and 
it worked until it didn't. And I still showed up, but I was miserable as hell doing it. And it wasn't until two years later that I realized, what did I do the last few years of my life? It was when I flipped that switch that my business boomed. It was when I flipped that switch that my life quality improved. It was when I flipped that switch that I actually also got my dogs. Like my whole life just transcended when I wasn't living to this identity of, oh, I just need to hold this image up of the the lean person. I have to hold this image up of the, the strong person, the whatever person. Like any expectations that exist are the ones you put on yourself. A seemingly unrelated kind of analogy or recommendation that I think really does apply here is you'll often hear people talk about read as many books as you possibly can, but do not shy away from ditching the book 10 pages in if you don't feel like it'll serve you. So pick up books, you know, just absolutely, you know, abundantly, like I'm going to try this. Somebody recommended that. I'm just going to pull the trigger. I'm going to order this, order that. But then you're not married to it. If you get enough of the taste of it and feel like, you know what? This is probably not going to be a good use of my time. You need to be vicious with shutting that book and trying something else. And I don't feel like people do that with identities and people don't really feel that about their goals. So to use a very specific example, for the time being, I have shelved my goal of becoming bilingual, of learning a second language. I just don't feel in this, this is a separate conversation, but I don't really feel like I'm in the season of life where that is something that is necessarily it's an, I want to say where it's a good use of my time, but it's clear based on my actions that I have been unwilling to prioritize that enough to see a return. So for the longest time, I say longest time, maybe a couple of months, I wrestled with, do I put this on pause for now? Do I, you know, do I jump ship on it? What do I actually do? And every day I wasn't willing to part ways with this goal. And one little tip here, and I actually got this from Karen when she came on the show is when you give up on a goal or when you quit on something, you can just reframe it as I'm pausing it. I'm shelving. I can always revisit it later. It doesn't mean you're writing it off into the abyss and you can never touch it again. And for a lot of people, that's all they need to go. Oh, okay. That's fine. So for me, when I made the decision recently to pause actively trying to become bilingual, that was a big weight off my shoulders because of that reframe. But then more importantly, on a daily basis, my head was no longer hitting the pillow feeling like I failed because I didn't learn 20 new words today. So think of that book analogy of yes, pick up books, pursue new goals, like try all these new things, but then be very vicious and very particular about when you're actually going to ax them. And axing them doesn't necessarily mean axing them forever. It's just perhaps pausing for now, redirecting. And then again, you you have your head hits the pillow, you feel a lot better about how the day went because you're not looking around at your life, whether it's physically, logistically, your calendar and feeling like I could have, I should have, uh, crap, I didn't do this. Sound cost effect again, because by focusing so much on things that aren't actually really serving you right now, you're taking away from other areas that you could be giving all of that energy to. And kind of on the flip side of the books, there's, there's also knowing your direction because you might close some books that you actually needed to keep pushing through. And it's almost, it's only because I remember listening to, not listening, reading a Netflix analogy where it's just like, it's almost like when you start a series, everyone says it's really freaking good, but the first one or two episodes is shit, but you still watch it all the way through because you know, it's going to be good on the other side. Same with the books. You need to know which ones you do need to push through, which ones you need to close. And which ones are just you clinging on to stupid fluffy shit because it looks pretty. 
Mm-hmm. And actually, I wrote an article, surprise, surprise, on this as well, on the idea of giving up on your goals and how that can actually be a really good thing. But I added a little caveat at the bottom of, hey, don't get this twisted. I'm not saying give up the second something gets hard or it's not completely seamless because most really enjoyable, fulfilling outcomes are on the other side of really difficult work. So I'm not saying jump ship if like something is getting difficult, as you just mentioned, you get to know when to push through the first few shitty episodes of a Netflix series, you get to know when to push through this slow start to a book, but at least pay attention and be willing to part ways with maybe the Netflix series that's now eight episodes in, it still hasn't picked up for you, you know, pivot, redirect that bandwidth to something else. And, you know, as we kind of wrap things up here, tying it back to my way original thing, I'd said I had this list of like 35 goals and I wasn't moving the needle. The second I visually saw myself crossing these things out on the list, I woke up the next day with such like high powered tunnel vision of here are the three to four things that I'm absolutely going to crush today. It's not like I had more time in the day. I just had more bandwidth to devote to a much narrower, much shorter list of things that deserved more of my attention for this season of life. Yeah. I always say pick six things, put three on your later list and three on your yes now list. So with that, we've been talking for freaking forever, but we just bounce off each other like bloody yo-yos. Yo-yos. What's it? You bounce off each other at that. (laughs) So So with that, I will leave Sam's Instagram link in the bio, but I will also tell you that it's Coach Sam Forget it's spelt, but it's pronounced Forget. But honestly, it's it's hard to accept the truth sometimes, but letting go of that ego that we feel like serves us but isn't really serving us is the first step to moving forward in the right direction and with that do you have any closing statements again i have like nine thoughts in the tip of my tongue here i'll reinforce what you mentioned where it can be incredibly scary and daunting to part ways with whether it's a goal that you've always had like losing the last five to ten pounds that you know month after month you've had that or you know adjusting your process but keep in mind, you really have nothing to lose, especially if things aren't going well. And a lot of times nothing tangible or specific or huge needs to happen. Just that mental switch of when I wake up tomorrow, I'm no longer going to beat myself up for not being bilingual. It is shocking what a difference it can make. So again, I, I recognize it can be challenging to part ways with the stuff at times, but again, it's, it's almost always upside and it's a night and day difference. And you'd be shocked if you just give yourself the opportunity to experience that. So I'll leave things there. Just want to emphasize one word, experience, experience. That, that's actually a really powerful word. We don't experience, sit still and experience. I'll leave you with that. Thanks for listening and don't forget to check the show notes.